Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Greetings, Skywatchers. This is Ryan Sprague. And before we get to this week's episode, I just wanted to take a moment to thank my new Patreon subscribers for helping the show grow in quality and quantity. So to Richard, Tyler, The Ghost Story Guys, Our Strange Skies Podcast, Chaps, Valenia, Jesus, Nathan, Chris, Jill, Robert, Henry, and to all my pre-existing subscribers, you are the reason the show continues. Recently, my microphone completely died on me. But, with your contributions and the generosity of various listeners, I was able to replace it within one day. This is the reason I started the Patreon, and you are the reason it continues. So enjoy your bonus episodes, and if you'd like to learn more and become a patron, head on over to the following website to learn more and to receive tons of bonus episodes, exclusive articles, and your chance to be my co-host, or pick topics for the show. That website is patreon.com slash somewhereskies. Again, patreon.com slash somewhereskies. Thank you again for all your support, and now, on with the show. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Spread. Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I'm your host, Ryan Sprague. When I think of Maine, my mind immediately jumps to Stephen King and the small fishing towns and villages that encompass his horror novels and films. Terrifying tales of the supernatural that cut to the core of fear and the darker sides of the human condition. But what many may not be aware of is that the state of Maine and the New England area in general have a deep, rich, and truly bizarre history with a UFO phenomenon as well. And today, we are speaking to one of the most prominent researchers investigating these Northeast American cases today. Nomar Slavik is a ufologist and paranormal researcher. Beginning with a UFO encounter at four years old, his life passion has been to research, investigate, and write about UFO and alien encounters from everyday people and to share those stories. In his latest book, Otherworldly Encounters, Evidence of UFO Sightings and Abductions, he conveys the human element of profoundly strange encounters. In this interview, we talk about some of the reports and cases he's come across, how the UFO phenomenon and supernatural and paranormal worlds may have more in common than we think, and his personal experiences while investigating a Mothman-like creature in Maine and a UFO sighting 
over Loring Air Force Base. It's all here, and it's all completely out of this world. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Nomar Slavik. Nomar, thank you so much for joining me today on Somewhere in the Skies. It's an absolute pleasure. Love the show. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, thanks, man. I I read your book and I knew immediately I had to have you on. This is an area that I haven't covered often on my show. So when I learned that you not only lived in the main area, but that you had so many stories from there that you've collected, it was unlike anything I'd, I'd ever known about this area of the United States. So first and foremost, most. I'm super excited to talk to you today. But before we even get to your your book, I want to ask, like I do most of my guests, what is your origin story if we're going to go the comic book <laughs> route? How did you yes. get involved with UFOs? Well, it started 35, 36 years ago or so. I think it was, what is that, 82, 83, something like that. And I was four or five years old, and I had a sighting of my own in Fort Kent. Fort Kent is at the tip of Maine. You can literally throw a rock and hit Canada. And it was late winter, and I was sound asleep, and a clap of thunder woke me up. And I could hear like tapping of uh, rain hitting the windows. I was seeing flashes of light. And I was like, oh, a thunder and lightning storm. So I kneeled up in bed and, and I wanted to watch the storm. So after a, a little bit, I saw this really thick lightning bolt penetrate a cloud. Uh, and if I asked you to draw a lightning bolt, you'd probably draw like this thick, jagged yellow line or maybe think the, uh, the uh, charging indicator on your smartphone. Mm-hmm. Like that – is what I saw. And I still remember it to this day. It's a lightning bolt stuck in a cloud. And there was electricity coming off of it. And there were loud booms happening. And then eventually I drifted off to sleep. I woke up the next morning. I went to the bathroom. When I was walking back to my room, I could see out my bedroom windows. And the lightning bolt was still there. And even at that age, I knew that, you know, lightning you last less than a second, you know, so I, I was very confused by it. I ran downstairs, I got my dad, I brought him up to, to, to show him the lightning bolt, and it was gone. I tried explaining to him what I saw, and all he could really do was kind of like ruffle my hair like adults do, and they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, when a, a kid's trying to explain something to him. But I guess I was pretty animated and insistent during my explanation, where he did make sure to tell me that it did not rain the night before. So after that, it actually scared me because I was, I was just had no idea what it was. Well, two weeks later, I uh, had another like nighttime encounter, but this one was a bit more uh, uh, realistic and, uh, and fantastic, really. My dad dragged my sister and I out of bed to view the northern lights. It's the only time I've seen them, and they're gorgeous and really strange. But the reason I mentioned that as well is that both of those experiences taught me at a very young age that the world is mysterious and strange, and I was kind of hooked at that moment for all things weird. But I was also still scared, you know? But as I got older, that lightning bolt, I just, I really think it was the first time I saw a UFO. I still remember it as a lightning bolt, so who knows? But that's that that's that's kind of the origin of, of where all this started. Wow, man. This, this, like, strikingly mirrors my own dive into this whole world. So it's really interesting to hear that. And it's kind of unlike most 
aerial anomalies we have, we've ever heard here in the UFO field of people getting involved. You know, usually it's saucers or triangles, but you <laughs> yeah. saw a freaking lightning bolt in the sky that did not go away. That's yeah. very interesting. Wow. Well, today today we're sort of going to besides lightning bolts in the sky, we're going to cover many different encounters that people have had yeah. in the main area. You recently released your book Otherworldly Encounters: Evidence of UFO Sightings and abductions, where you focus mainly on cases in Maine, the New England area. So I have to ask, you know, before we get into some of those, what made you want to primarily focus on these areas? Well, New England has a long history of hauntings, even Sasquatch and other cryptids like the Dover Demon. There's been some dogman sightings. I, I actually talked to a dogman witness about a month and a half ago from, from Maine, and uh, turns out there's also a ton of extraterrestrial encounters. And I love my home state of Maine, and I figured if all of this is getting reported in my own backyard, what better place to start and really stay for as long as I can sharing these untold stories? You know, like why why wouldn't I catalog those and, and make some sort of history with them, you know? Absolutely. I mean, we have the famous cases throughout the world. Sure. We've got, you know, one of the first abduction encounters ever recorded up in New Hampshire area. Yeah. But it, like you said, it's these untold stories, these voices that haven't got out there that I think are most important to the field. There's so many witnesses and people having experiences that we haven't heard from. And to give them that voice, I think, is extremely important. And I'm so happy you've done that. Well, in terms of that, you not only did you record alien encounters and UFO sightings, but you're also a paranormal investigator. I found that really interesting. And you were able to kind of mix your methods of investigation when applying it to UFO research and the paranormal. So I was wondering, maybe before we get into some of the actual cases you covered, how did you do this? How were you able to do this? So many people aren't able to branch over and make these worlds of the paranormal and UFOs connect, but you were able to do that with your investigative skills. So maybe could you give us a little hint? on how you were able to do this? Yeah, sure. Uh, some of it is really simple, meaning, uh, you know, I'm the quintessential struggling writer, so I don't have all these assets <laughs> to, to, to play around with. However, I do have a little bit of a paranormal bag of tricks from my uh, haunting investigations, and I figured maybe I could use some of those in, in uh, these extraterrestrial cases. Also, in some of these cases, people have reported strange happenings inside their homes that certainly come across more haunting in nature, either after a UFO sighting or concurrent with UFO sightings. So uh, typically after an encounter, I've talked to people ab about these encounters, and it's really about knowing your surroundings, talking to people, and utilizing some of the same gear like uh, we were just talking about. So K2 meters to check the area and the home for any out-of-place readings. One could assume that UFOs maybe emit some sort of electromagnetic field, but it's also really about ruling out the high concentrations of EMF that could influence people through hallucination or paranoid thoughts, right. which is an extreme symptom of, of high EMF exposure. So that, that's really a, a, you know, a way to help debunk some of this. Uh, I also conduct EVP sessions. You just never know what is inaudible to us at the moment, of course, and it could prove interesting on, a, uh, on listening back. Uh, I'm actually working with a couple right now. They're having ongoing current 
extraterrestrial activities. In fact, they sent me some pictures even last night. There's a lot a lot of activity on their on their property, and they have caught some some EVPs. Uh, they'll just switch on the recorder at night and then go to bed. And uh, at one point, they they caught this strange metallic noise in their room, and it, it almost sounds like a, a bus, a street bus, like breaking. Mm-hmm. You know, you get that that screech. And then there's another EVP that clearly says the word Earth. Mm. That's that's freaking weird, you know. Like, but in regards to knowing the area, though, I want to know if there are high tension wires nearby, or what was on the area previously, and uh, you know what could that mean. I like to know the terrain too. Like, if I'm going to conduct an investigation, I kind of want to know what I'm getting myself into. You know, safety first, mm-hmm. and uh, and then lastly, interviewing people for me is is more of a conversation. I want to hear their story. I want to pay attention. I ask follow up questions so I know the whole story, and then I follow up with. With, uh, you know, if anything seemed out of the ordinary, the day of, the week of, or the month of, you know, if they, the, if there was something leading up to it, they hadn't thought about previously, and then obviously any history with, uh, you know, them or family members with odd experiences or encounters, it just, it all helps to paint a broader picture. You know? Absolutely, you know, I've never really thought about that. You know, what what could, what could sort of bookend these primary experiences these people are having something previous to it something after it that's really interesting you know the follow-up i think is most important when sure when conducting these investigations and interviews is on the news we see a ufo event covered and then we never hear about it again but you know things can happen after that and i think it's very important to do that follow-up because this could be a string of events that continue for sure so absolutely and i don't want them to feel abandoned oh like you know i I got what I needed from you. Right. You know, uh, I want to help them. You know, they're all too often they have nobody to turn to. And if I could at least be a sympathetic, uh, non judgmental ear, I'm down for that, you know? Absolutely. I, I love that. I love that. Well, let's let's sort of dive into some of the stuff you covered in the book. I sure. Mean, we mentioned, you know, UFOs and the paranormal sort of mixing. In chapter two of your book, you brought up perhaps one of the first ever paranormal investigators in the U.S. here. That was uh, Reverend Abraham Cummings. And this is a story that really seems to mix the two. So I was wondering maybe if you could briefly run us through this incident and what you think it may, may, being the keyword represented. <laughs> Yeah, man. Uh, I love this story, first of all. So Reverend Abraham Cummings, he was a smart dude. He was highly educated, and he had an interest in understanding paranormal phenomena. So during this time frame, which is 1806, he was investigating a case in the town of Sullivan, Maine. And it was about a ghost of a woman named Nellie Butler. And apparently, most of the town either heard or saw Nellie in some capacity, which is wild. And uh, one night while uh, Cummings was uh, walking around town, these two guys came up to him and they said that they had just had like this ghostly encounter in a field. Uh, and they, they, they told Cummings that they saw this odd glowing light hovering over the field. Well, I'm reading this and red flags are immediately going off. I'm like glowing light hovering over a field. That sounds that sounds like a UFO sighting. So, you know, I continue to read and 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 Cummings wrote that he went to check it out. And he said that he saw what the men did, but he described it as a quote white rock. And it was actually it on the field itself. So that sounds to me like a landed craft. And then it ascends. While it's in the air, 
check this out. He observes a small entity coming out of it and floats down. So again, my red flags are going off. I'm like, whoa, is this is this an alien encounter? You know, an alien being encounter? And he says that he spoke telepathically to it and actually assumed that it was Nellie Butler. But he was confused because the entity was, quote-unquote, child-sized. Again, red flags, gray aliens, child-sized. That's how they're always described. So just as he had that thought, the entity then shape-shifted to a larger size and appeared female. That's crazy. And uh, they talked briefly, and without warning, uh, Cummings found himself back inside his home, not knowing how he got there. Whoa, and he okay. went, yeah, yeah. So now we're talking missing time. Was there some sort of abduction? Like, what's going on? This reads like some classic abduction scenarios. You know, think Travis Walton, then he just, you know, mysteriously appears on the side of the road. Right. Think, you know, things like that, not knowing how he got there. And, and uh, so, in my opinion, it very much sounds like a UFO alien abduction type scenario. You know, what did you think after reading it? I, I thought the same thing. I mean, there were, yeah. there were too many red flags, to be mm. honest. And immediately, I I think what really caught my attention was the entity part of it all, like the, the, sure. the how small it was that it sort of you know descended from the craft. I mean, this this in what what I found most interesting is it's the perception of the person having the experience that can really yeah. sh- shape what it what it could have been. I mean, we we could both come to the to the conclusion that it might have been alien, but who knows. Who knows? You know, yeah, if my, if Michael Moore could read this and he thinks there's some sort of collusion with the government. You know, like who, <laughs> you know, who knows? It, like you said, it's all about perception. You know, yeah. and that, that's really interesting that you said that because uh, at this time, like his mind and that town's mind were all wrapped around ghostly encounters, exactly. and he kept yeah, and he kept using the term specter in describing this. You know, he just didn't have another word for it. It's interesting. Yeah, it really is. I mean, and that that sort of continued with. Some of the other stories you found that happened yeah. very early on. You know, we have a lot of modern contemporary cases where you start to see it being perceived much more as alien as we kind of advance with our own technology, our, mm. our fears in the world at the time, stuff, you know, sci fi becomes very influential on a lot of these cases as we move forward. But this one that you cover in chapter three also really caught my attention. That was the story of Laura Dent. This one uh, yes. scared the crap out of me, dude. <laughs> Would you mind running us through this one? You know what's interesting is that this case pissed me off at first. <laughs> and, and, and I'll tell you why. The first time I heard about it was when I was watching an episode of Hangar One, you know, MUFON show that they had for a bit on History Channel. Yep. And I was pissed because I had not heard about the encounter before. It was only the show. So I was really mad at myself for not finding it in my research because like you said it's terrifying and there's so many different aspects to it but whatever i got over it and i and i had to know everything i could about the case so i contacted mufon and this was a couple years ago now and i got in touch with valerie schultz valerie schultz is the main state director of mufon she's a school teacher up in northern maine just a lovely woman and it turns out that she was the investigator assigned to this case so we talked at length about it and she told me uh, the the witness uh, refused to speak with me could only do it like through Valerie. So the witness stated that this all started in the early 80s when she was about eight years old or so. And it began with their farmhouse being engulfed in light at night. That's really all that she saw at the beginning. But it was so frequent and she could never find the source that she started to talk to her parents.
parents about it. Uh, but, you know, kind of like my dad in my story, they dismissed her, you know. Until one day, though, she found a crop circle, like by chance, in her father's hayfield. And she showed it to him. And he really came across as, like, distressed about the crop circle and immediately mowed the area so it was indiscernible from the 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 other grass in the field uh so the next day she said she was home alone and a black sedan drove up her road parked and two men dressed in black suits got out she said that they walked to the area of the field where the crop circle had been which obviously surprised her because you know the father mowed it the the day previously so again it was indiscernible from from all the other mowed grass and she said they took soil and grass sand put them in small jars, and then bounced. So a few nights later, uh, the light came on again, and she saw that it was focused more over the field. Well, she started sleeping with binoculars. And so she grabbed her binoculars, went to the window to try to get a better look, and she said that the light dimmed finally. And she saw what she described as a silver disc-shaped craft, and it had windows. And it was landed on the field. She said that she also saw like these shadow things like moving about the field and kept watching and kept watching. And eventually she said that they look like gray alien beings. And she said that she was aware of these gray aliens through uh, media that she had consumed. So she didn't get specific. So I don't know if she saw the Betty and Barty Hill movie, you know, TV movie at the time or whatever, because that came out close to to this time frame. But uh, according to Valerie, the witness did go on to explain that the abductions started around this time. So obviously she's an adult now and claims that the abductions are still happening, but remembers very little of them. And really the only thing she had to say about the abductions because she can't remember very much is when she was a child they were more fun and 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 welcoming and nice in nature and now that she's a, an adult she feels as though they're more malevolent in nature so a pretty stark contrast there but that's pretty much that story in a nutshell Ugh, yeah that that one really really got to me well the next one i want to sort of fast forward to is in sure. chapter 11 now so many people that i talk to when they know that i'm into all this stuff they always ask what do you think of mothman what do you think of mothman <laughs> and it is you know admittedly my favorite cryptid of all time and well, in yeah. chapter 11 of your book this is titled the creature of washington street you chronicle what could be considered maybe a Mothman-like string of encounters in Camden, Maine. So being my favorite cryptid of all time, man, I have to ask you, I'd love to hear more about this and your personal investigations that you did on the Mothman of Maine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I love Mothman 2. I'm also a huge fan of like the Fresno Nightcrawler. That thing freaks me out. Mm -hmm. But anyway, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I had heard of this encounter through my research, and but it was really hard to, to, to track down the full story. I kept finding like the headline to the story, you know, man sees Mothman-like creature in Maine. Man sees Mothman. And I'm like, what the hell? Why can't I find this story? So I asked a, uh, a fellow author and researcher. Her name's uh, Michelle Soyer. And she was actually able to track down a witness name. So this was amazing. I, I contact the witness via Facebook, and it was a bit awkward because a lot of people had the same name. <laughs> and, you know, I had to describe a little bit of why I was contacting them. So after some awkward interactions, I actually found the dude, and he was willing to talk about the encounter. Uh, we talked over the course of like two weeks, and after a week or so, he saw like how serious I was about pursuing this and finding everything out I could about it. That 
that he still wanted to share his story, but he wanted to remain anonymous. And I did uh, write that in the book that he he preferred to re- remain anonymous, and I named him Robert Osborne in the book. Okay. Uh, but it, but it all started in two thousand one, which was actually thirty five years to the month of the original Mothman sightings in Point Pleasant, uh, West Virginia, in sixty six. So yeah. kind of simplistic oh, wow. there. You know, uh, but he was walking home early uh, one evening down Washington Street in Camden, Maine. Camden is a uh, gorgeous little coastal town. Think uh, uh, a Stephen King town, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, uh, with some horror actually because of this encounter. And as he was walking, he began hearing like this this loud chirping or squeaking noise, like a mouse. So he's looking down, trying not to step on the friggin' thing. And while he's looking down, he sees this shadow kind of go by, and he knows that it's the shadow of something above him. So he he looks up and he sees this really odd looking humanoid f- figure with a with a massive wingspan, and it was making the sound. He said that the body was like four four and a half feet long, and it had these large translucent wings. And he said it flew right up and over the apartment building that he lived in. And as it did that, he was able to get a good measurement of the wings because he said it spanned from one side of the eaves of his building to the other side of the eaves. Yeah, so huge. I went down there in June uh, of last year, uh, or maybe April of last year, and you know he gave me the address. And sure enough, that building is, uh, from eave to eave, is 25 feet. So you're talking about something like the the size of a Cessna, you know, wingspan-wise. Like, that's crazy. Uh, But anyways, it flew off to this marshy area behind the building. Uh, He talked to friends and family about it, and it's not really like they they didn't believe he saw something. They just thought he misidentified something like a turkey vulture or a sandhill crane or something, and both of those can be found in the area. And then he started having these reoccurring dreams. And he said that he would find himself on that same spot on Washington Street where he saw the figure. And instead of that, that um, you know, large cr- winged creature above him, he saw a UFO as large as a house, and it would roar and take the take off, and then he would wake up. So, you know, as as researchers, you know, like uh, like you are and myself and others, I just asked him. I was like, "That seemed like a dream, or was it more like a memory?" You know, tell me more about that. Right. And he's like, "Interesting. You should bring that up. I tell people it's a dream." But I believe it's a memory. And uh, so I thought that was interesting and also synchronistic with the Mothman sightings in 1966 in Point Pleasant where there were concurrent UFO sightings as well along with this 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 winged creature, you know. Mm-hmm. So he had a couple of other encounters uh, throughout the years. And uh, uh, he's, he's married now, living in southern Maine. And he started having some reoccurring dreams again that were UFO in nature. He would see this UFO Covering uh, above the tree line, and then he would wake up. Uh, so, I, I uh, after talking to him, I obviously wanted to go down there and check it out for myself. So, I, uh, I I went to the marshy area that's behind his building. It's probably a quarter mile behind his building, and it turns out that there's a dirt road that leads down there, and there's a, a bit of an open area where you can park. I wouldn't call it a parking lot at all, <laughs> but it's but it's certainly a flat enough space that you can park there. So before I did that, I actually went to the to the local PD, explained to them what Mothman was, what I was doing there about the encounter. And in places in Camden, you're you're not allowed to be there after sunset. So I didn't you know want to get hassled or anything. So I asked their permission, and they're like, "All right, weirdo, go for it." You know, <laughs> so, I was going to ask what their response was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were just like, "Whatever." Um, like you seem nice enough. Go ahead. 
<laughs> so, uh, so I really just you know staked out the area. I don't know how to friggin' investigate Mothman, so I brought with me a uh, night vision camera and a flashlight. <laughs> you know, That's so good, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, fair enough, right? So I, I, I'm sitting there, and there's just so much noise. There's so much wildlife in the area that you couldn't really discern. You know, a deer walking to a, a humanoid figure with wings walking. You know, and, <laughs> and it was pitch black. But I did have the night vision camera. I didn't see anything out of the ordinary. I probably spent three or four hours there. Didn't really see or catch anything, so I went back to the hotel. Well, the next night, I went out again. I brought my little dude with me, and we're out there, and and I'm bringing him up to speed. He's a, He was 11 at the time. I'm bringing him up to speed on, what, on who Mothman is. We watched the trailer to the Mothman prophecies, and he's eating Sour Patch Kids, and, and, uh, and we're just chilling. And, and he's a bit freaked out, you know, because we got the windows down, and, and we're, you know, sitting really in the middle of the woods in front of this marshy area and looking for Mothman, you know? So he kept telling me that he could see these red eyes. I'm so sorry that I live next to a church and the bell's going off. Oh, that is so appropriate and cool. Don't worry about it, man. (laughs) All right. So um, and he kept telling me that he was seeing these red eyes and they were about seven, eight feet in the in the air. You know, I was like, uh, okay. So it was like four or five times. Every time I would look, I wouldn't see anything. Like the final time he says it, I look over quick enough and I see it for myself. I take a picture. Of course, nothing came out very well. And I I just don't know what to make of that. It it looked like these close together red eyes. I don't know if he was being, you know, influenced by the Mothman Prophecies trailer. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Where it definitely focuses on the red eyes and uh, where we were parked we don't know camden that well so there could have been this this road nearby that we didn't know and we're seeing brake lights maybe so i'm not really sure what it was but it was interesting that we did that we did see something you know and uh i certainly plan on going back and checking it out some more you know absolutely you know first of all coolest dad ever (laughs) second of all i mean it's good to hear and it's refreshing to hear that you actually you discern what it could be i think that's a problem a lot of investigators have is they're immediately going to oh i saw mothman 
you know. <laughs> right, right. Like, There's nothing more that I wanted to say is that, yes, I saw Mothman, but nah, that wouldn't be right. It's not your job, man. I mean, your job right. is to find every other answer before Mothman. And I think that's what uh, the, the misconception about paranormal investigation, cryptid hunting, uh, UFO hunting is. We're not out to say, look, aliens, you know, we're there to find every other reasonable explanation. When we're left with nothing else, that's when we really have to ask the tough questions. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even to yourself sometimes. Yeah. And, and and that can be the hardest sometimes, you know? Yep. Well, you know, you did, you were boots on the ground. You got out there. You investigated this case. You did this with other people as well. And that's what I really respect about your work is you're willing to go and meet people face-to-face to hear their stories. Now, this Absolutely. is what my, my whole approach is in the UFO field as well, is the human side of it being face-to-face with these people and hearing their stories. And that's that's what you did with another one that I read in the book. This was The Woman That Time Forgot. I was wondering maybe if you wouldn't mind telling us a little about your personal experiences with this one as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I agree. When you meet a witness and hear them tell their story, you really get a more genuine experience. You know, you you get to see the look in their eyes, their, their body language, the tone in their voice. And it's powerful. And powerful in the sense of this fool's lying. Uh, this, I, I definitely believe that this person believes it. Or wow, aliens is, exist, y'all, and this person experienced them. You know, right. uh, that, that's rare, but it does happen. So yeah, this woman. Her name is Sue. I met her last year, and she told me of some missing time that she experienced along with a UFO encounter. And it was her entire family that experienced the missing time. Uh, This happened back in 1991, and it was right around 9 p.m. Her kids were downstairs about to watch a movie. She was upstairs getting ready for bed with her husband, and they were also going to watch a movie upstairs. So she was getting dressed for bed, and she saw this odd light outside her window. She showed it to her husband, and they were both a bit surprised by it and decided to go outside for a better look. So as they came downstairs, the kids were like, you know, what the hell are you guys doing? (laughs) You know, going outside and they're like, there's this weird light outside. Like, come with us and check it out. So all four of them pile out to the front porch and they're leaning over to the far right because that's where the light is. And as they're watching it, the light then shoots to right in front of them and lower in the sky. So they're just there jaw dropped and they're watching it for about five minutes or so. And then it just blinks out. So they go back inside and the kids were like, yo. Oh, this movie's over. And Sue, the mom, she was like, what are you guys talking about? No way. And she's like, no, look, look, the credits are on. And she's like, what? So she went and checked the clock and found that it was 11 p.m. and realized that the entire family lost about two hours of time. And and obviously everybody was like kind of shocked by it, but no one really wanted to talk about it. Which I can understand, you know, but very, very odd experience. And then she started having these weird dreams. So dreams is kind of like a a pattern uh, in some of these stories. Uh, And this dream is really weird. She said it was just her and her husband and they're on this spaceship. That's how she described it. And everything inside of it is white except for uh, these these windows that are there and they can see the stars through the windows. And she said that they, they got into this elevator and went down to this other area. And when the doors opened, she said it looked like a, a, a Walmart that was all white. Everything inside of it was white. It was filled with clothes. And all the clothes were white and half of them were her size and half of them were his size, her husband's size. And what's really strange is that anytime her husband spoke or opened his mouth in the dream, a Pink Floyd song would play. (laughs) 
I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. It's friggin' weird. So uh, this really, you know, she, she was never a fan of Pink Floyd. So she started listening to a lot of them to try to figure out what the hell the song was. And it turns out it was the song Interstellar Overdrive. Very long song. It's a good song, but long and not something you normally hear on the radio very often. Mm-hmm. But on the morning that she was driving over to meet me to have this discussion, she said that that song was on the radio. And so the, the synchronicity of that was certainly not lost on us. But so she, she goes on to tell me that she needed to have some x-rays done. Uh, this was like a year or so later after the, uh, the missing time. And uh, she had some x-rays done for this you know, unrelated medical issue. And she said that there were three metal spheres in the shape of a triangle in her hip. And the doctor said to her when they went to discuss the x-rays, she, he goes – uh, uh, when were you abducted by aliens? Well, of course, audibly she she laughed it off, but in her head she was freaking out, you know, like oh my god, what? And then he seriously asked her, you know, like were you shot by buckshot or something? Well, there's no scars or anything in her hip to account for those spheres. So she kind of reached out to some friends, and 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 some of them suggested to get them removed and and things like that. She ultimately decided not to. But a couple years after that, she had more X-rays done. And it turns out that the spheres are now gone. Hmm. So very, very odd. And she contacted the original doctor because it was a different set of doctors that did the second set of x-rays. And she wanted to get copies of those x-rays from her original doctor. Well, the original doctor claimed that those x-rays somehow are are missing now or or got lost. Of course, yeah. Of course they did. (laughs) So – that, that's pretty much a story in a nutshell. Uh, there was another bout of missing time in uh, 94, 95, 96, something like that. And uh, she was out walking with her uh, husband at the time. And uh, they decided to go two separate ways. They were searching for antlers. Her uh, ex-husband uh, uh, created furniture with antlers they would find in the forest. So they were out doing that. And they were only supposed to be gone for an hour, hour and a half. Well, Sue thought she was gone for about an hour and a half, but it turns out she was gone for four hours and has no recollection of, of what happened to that missing time, you know? Mm. But uh, what struck me about her, though, that is that she was just such a sweet woman, had nothing to gain, never sought anything out, you know, financial about it, uh, very extremely sincere. But at the end of our meeting, Ryan, she looked at me and she, I mean, it was like a movie, dude, like her, her eyes were welled up with tears and she looked at me and was like, why me? It broke my freaking heart, you know, and and I had no answers for her other than I'm going to share your story. And at the very least, somebody else who had a strange encounter may read it and not feel so alone. You know, at the very least, I might be able to provide that to you. But I mean, it was just sad, though, you know. Absolutely, Um, man. I have come across that time and time. One of my chapter titles is Why Me? So many of these people ask that question of the investigator, of the researcher, and we don't have an answer for them. We we can't, you know. That's not really our job. It's like you said, as interviewers, we're there to record the story and make sure that we get it down so that we can – we can bring that to the public and find other people who may have some sort of connections with them. So yeah, I, yeah. I can only imagine what you were feeling at that time, you know, when they confide so much in you. Uh, yeah. Of course they want some answers, but it's it's hard. It's hard. I've been in that situation yeah. where they're crying or they're, you know, they're, they're in such a vulnerable place. So why me is a good question. And I think that's one we continue to ask 
as well with all of these, and the story will continue for her. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully she can find just some sort of closure in getting the story out there. I think that's what's yeah. important. Well, another one I kind of want to cover with you here, man, is on Loring Air Force Base. Now, this has a pretty rich history I've now learned about with UFOs and some I didn't really know about. So I was wondering maybe if you could give us a little backstory on this base and its connections to UFOs and what you personally experienced there. Yeah, man, I, I love the uh, the Loren Air Force Base encounters. There's a, a few different encounters that the the base has had, and if you talk to people from the area, they'll say there's hundreds of encounters that have happened there. Um, so that that's quite a bit. But Loren Air Force Base, it was operational in Maine from 1947. That's an interesting year yep. uh, to to 1994, and it housed nuclear weapons during the 60s and 70s. Uh, in 1975, a series of encounters happened over the course of three days where a ufo was hovering over the base in different areas including where they kept the nukes uh, this was seen on radar and visually and including in the included in the, the visual sightings was the wing commander who was the highest ranking officer on site during that time he saw it with his eyes too and it seemed to to culminate on this third night when the ufo was seen hovering just a few feet over the runway the main state police and air force police rushed to the area and they were just all dumbfounded at what they were looking at. They described this oval-shaped object that looked like lava or something was flowing all around it with all these different colors. And then after a few moments, it just blinked out. Seconds later, it was picked up on radar over in Nova Scotia. And uh, it was also claimed, this is a bit anecdotal, but it was also claimed uh, by one of the sons of the officers on site that night that the uh, men in black went there the next day and confiscated reports about the incident. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's not anecdotal, though, is in 1982, a couple of journalists looked into the case and actually contacted the FBI in Massachusetts. And granted, this is seven years later. And they said that the the uh, encounter is listed as unknown and the investigation is still ongoing. That's mm. uh, very interesting that the FBI would admit to that to these journalists, you know? Yeah, really. So uh, in 1964, 11 years prior to this, there was a similar encounter at Loring. An air policeman claimed to have seen a dark-colored UFO hovering just a few feet above the runway, but it wasn't, you know, all lava and, and colored lights. Instead, it was you know like this black matte finish with all these angles he was saying and and the airman actually confirmed his sighting with another airman who was even closer and that second airman said that it 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 like blurred and then disappeared it's very odd way to describe that and he talked about another colleague of his who was on duty one night in December of 64. And he was doing his rounds and all that good stuff. And he saw some people walking by a snowbank near the B-52 bombers area that he said were outfitted with nukes at the time just in case they needed to be called into action. The airman said that he shouted for these people to, to come out. You know, no one's allowed over there. And they they, they wouldn't – respond back to him so he fired off a warning shot and he said that they eventually made their way out and when the airman saw them in front of him he said he was terrified at their appearance and immediately fired his gun at them he said as soon as he did this they vanished 
And then just a moment or two later, the base came to life. Lights came on. Other air police personnel came to the site and actually apprehended this guy's colleague. And he tried explaining you know, what happened and, and, and all that stuff to the superiors, but they didn't want to hear any of it. He was relieved of duty for firing shots near the nukes, which is crazy, crazy. Yeah. And uh, a couple months later, the original airman who was who was uh, telling all these stories said that they were at a local bar with some friends and that this guy who was relieved of duty walked in. And they started poking fun at him and stuff like, hey, you seen Gree little men and blah, blah, blah. And uh, he walked up to them and said they're gray, not green, <laughs> and, then, and then bounced. You know, Again, a bit anecdotal at the end there, but uh, I actually went up myself to check out Loring, and Loring, as it stands right now, is literally an abandoned Air Force base. There's miles of runway. There's like 40 or 50 hangars, all abandoned. Uh, there's a whole uh, – there's two large housing areas straight out of the freaking Walking Dead, man. They're all dilapidated, mm-hmm. and, and you know, reed, uh, weeds are, you know, cracking the pavement. All the, all the uh, hangars are bleeding rust. It's, it's crazy. And you can kind of have your run of the base. The, uh, on the peripheral of the base, there are some businesses. There's a call center with like a 1,000 employees. There's museums. There's a couple other businesses. And, and what's interesting is that the Department of Defense actually has an accounting department there. So I wonder if they got some of that Pentagon paperwork from 07 to 12 there. But mm. <laughs> it's interesting, uh, to say the least. But again, uh, when I got to the area, though, I contacted the local PD. I actually just walked right into the station. I was like, yo, here's what I'm doing, UFOs, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, okay, have fun. Uh, so they were totally cool with me going there. So I went during the day first. I wanted to kind of get the lay of the land and know where I wanted to go when I went back there at night. All the sightings at Loring happened at night, so I figured that's probably a good time to be there. I ended up hanging out at the base for a while during the day. I took hundreds of pictures and explored everything. I even went maybe about 100 miles an hour on the runway because you can. Nice. <laughs> so that I've was done fun. the same thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So anyways, I went back to the hotel, took a nap, and I came back at night. And as soon as I got to the base, Boom, I was lost. The base was so dark. I don't know why I thought there'd be lights or or whatever, you know, but there's just no power. So it's completely dark. So I didn't know where the hell I was. And surprisingly, Google Maps works there. (laughs) So I I was able to get my bearings and I was able to find this hangar I wanted to go to and and the route to the runway and, and stuff like that. So the first thing I did was go to the runways. You have a complete unobstructed view of the sky and not to mention the runway where there, that's where there were a couple encounters with UFOs just hovering over the runway. So, So I was there for about an hour, hour and a half, and it was kind of drizzly that night. So I'm sitting in the car, and no lights are on. The The rain is starting to sound like freaking white noise, and I'm getting a headache. I'm like, this is bullshit. So I start the car, and I get out, and I have a cigarette, and I'm just trying to, to get my wits about me. When I start hearing something or someone walking up the runway, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I, I don't know if I'm ready to meet an alien yet. You know what I mean? Uh, but I have my, you know, uh, I'm ready. <laughs> but so I'm sitting there and, or I'm standing there and I'm trying to, tr- to hear what's, what's, what's coming towards me. And I'm straining to see in the darkness because you can't see your hand in front of your face. It's that dark. And so I move into the front of the car uh, to try to get closer to the sound. And as I'm standing there, it's getting closer, but it sounds like it takes a couple steps, then stops. Take a couple steps, then stops. Then I realized it's my windshield wipers on an intermittent <laughs> setting. Yeah. 
So I was like, oh my God, I, I'm going insane. I'm going insane. It's one o'clock in the morning. I'm, I'm on this abandoned Air Force base with supposed alien encounters. Like, what the hell am I doing? So I, uh, I get in the car and I drive to the radar tower area. And I park in the parking lot of the radar tower, shut everything off, start watching this guy again. And uh, I'm watching, I'm watching, and maybe five minutes, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes, there's a light in the sky. And and Ryan, it just got really – I was a human in that moment. I, I wasn't, you know, Nomar, the investigator, you know, looking for UFOs. I was like, holy shit, what the hell is that? And I'm watching it, and I'm, and, and, and I'm awestruck, and I'm not even thinking about cameras or anything. And I look down, and I'm holding my cell phone. I have gear with me. It's in the passenger seat. I look down. I'm holding my cell phone. I'm like, oh, shit. And I turn on the camera to start recording <laughs> in a huff, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I record this light in the sky, and then I get the dumb idea that I want to get closer. I don't know if I'm trying to get underneath it or what, but I want to get closer to it. So I start the car, and I drive maybe five feet, something like that. And as soon as I do that, the light does this weird flickering, swirly type thing, and then it blinks out. So I have maybe like 20 seconds of it on camera. Uh, you can see it on my YouTube channel. Uh, just do a search for Nomar Slevic and then look for the Lauren Air Force Base UFO. Because uh, that's literally what it is, an unidentified flying object. I'm not saying it's extraterrestrial in any way. Uh, it's just interesting that in 1964, some people saw stuff. In 1975, some people saw stuff. I go there on a whim in 2017, and I saw something, yeah. you know? So kind of interesting. And I mean, uh, investigations, there's false starts, you know, that sometimes nothing ever happens. And yeah. that's that's a part of it. That's part of the whole experience. I mean, all these TV shows and whatnot give the skewed perception of oh, what yeah. investigations actually are about. But that that human side of it, like you said, of not not having your gear ready or this or that, like that yeah. happens all the time. You forget that oh yeah i should probably be uh <laughs> recording this like that's just not how it everyone always asks all the debunkers skeptics are like why didn't you just videotape it or why why didn't you everyone has cell phones now why didn't you just take pictures because that's not what you're thinking of at that moment you know that's right you you that's want right. to experience it in real time and as human as possible and you're vulnerable at that moment you don't know what's going to happen what if that light you saw like started coming down at you and shot some bean travis walton style like you wouldn't yeah you, you, you don't think about those things at the time we we have this inherent nature of thinking that whatever is happening around us is a threat that's just human nature <laughs> is to defend yourself rather than yeah. oh let me let me show this to the world you know right right yeah it's very interesting well i mean dude you have covered so much in the book in terms of stories in terms of going out and investigate so i want to ask you before we wrap things up here as an investigator and a relayer of stories what advice would you give to people maybe starting to get into the field of ufo studies ufo research what advice would you give them on how to go about that what to expect and what sort of the misconceptions are out there about ufology as it were yeah i would say to talk to people first you know look into your local area see if there's anyone investigating and seeing if they're willing to talk or or meet with you to discuss what they do uh, so many investigators are just like chill genuine people that are willing to share especially because they could use the freaking help <laughs> you know yeah. 
uh, and and also always be learning. Never think you friggin' know everything. Uh, read, check out books from others who've done it. Books by Steiger, Clark, Coleman, Keel, Redfern, even Cohen, Friedman. You know, on and on and on. So many good books out there, and it's always good to brush up on some history. You know, and I think lastly, with uh, uh, misconceptions, one thing like when you're in the thick of an overnight investigation, just like we were talking about, it can be boring. Hours go by without incident the entire investigation may go by without incident you know like yeah. nothing will happen and 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 that's okay though it, it, it's 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 all right you're out there it's boots in the field and just because something didn't happen doesn't mean that this person was lying and just because something didn't happen doesn't mean the person was telling the truth you were there with your own perceptions trying to have your own experience and and that in itself is worth documenting as well you know but those are my thoughts on that anyway this is a very personal phenomenon and i think that's important too we're all trying to while we want to help witnesses and and find answers for the public at large it's a very personal experience and everyone's going to take what they want from it so i couldn't put it better myself well in terms of that man what do you got coming up? Any upcoming projects or books or investigations that are coming up that we should know about? Uh, yeah, man. I'm like, I'm always working on shit. It's, uh, uh, so I'm always doing something. I, uh, uh, I have new writings that I'm working on. Like I, I piece together stories, you know, so there's a, a lot of, uh, cryptid encounters that I'm working on right now that might have an extraterrestrial tinge to it. Also, I have my own podcast. It's called, I want to believe, and I cover fun stuff like the Dover demon, the outlaw pass, uh, UFOs, of course, and Sasquatch a lot more. And I, uh, I do it with my buddy, Kyle Sawyer. It's available wherever you get your podcast, so iTunes, all that good stuff. Uh, what's a little bit different about it, though, is I release everything as seasons, like Netflix style. Oh, awesome. So, yeah, so season one is out now. And season two begins recording in the fall. We'll record all the episodes. We do pepper them with some contemporary bonus episodes. And then uh, I'll edit everything together. And season two will be out in the winter of 2019. Uh, Also, I wrote and produced a documentary with my homie Bill Brock. Bill Brock directed it, and it's called Abducted New England. And it covers three cases. And it'll be out at the end of uh, this month or early September on video. Vidi Space, V-I-D-I Space.com, and also on DVD. But Vidi Space is a network started by Nick Groff and Elizabeth Saint. Nick Groff, of course, from Ghost Adventures, Paranormal Lockdown, all that good stuff. Right. And uh, um, they they have uh, they have lots of documentaries on there now. Seth Breedlove and Small Town Monsters, they debuted there on the Trail of Champ there. So it's a pretty cool place with these little documentaries that are, that are fun to watch. And uh, currently, I'm actually working on my own documentary that I'm I'm writing and directing, and it's about that couple I mentioned earlier that's having this these ongoing extraterrestrial encounters. But it's really a love story. Like these two, they they married recently back in March, I think, and they are just utterly in love. Like these are soulmates, if you've ever seen a soulmate. <laughs> and their undying love for each other like almost plays this part in this extraterrestrial story that's going on at the same time. So uh, principal photography on that begins on uh, September 1st. So I'm excited about that but that's pretty much all the the crap i got going on right now wow man that, <laughs> you make me sound lazy Woo. <laughs> it that's sounds awesome. 
it sounds a lot more glamorous as it is. <laughs> most times I'm listening to hip hop and drinking iced coffee. That's that's what's happening most of the time. <laughs> that's very Los Angeles of you, actually. <laughs> Thank you. Or maybe New England. I'm not here to judge. I don't know. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Well, I'm consider me a new subscriber to the podcast, and I can't wait for the Sweet. film projects to come out. Um, the book is Otherworldly Encounters, Evidence of UFO Sightings and Abductions. Nomar, where can we find the book? You can find it wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all that good stuff. My publisher, Llewellyn Worldwide Publishing, they have a, they have a far reach, so it's available everywhere. One thing I do like to promote, though, I'm not affiliated with them in any way, but IndieBound.org, I-N-D-I-E, bound.org is a search engine for mom and pop bookstores. So you go there, you type in your zip code, and then once uh, it brings up all the mom and pop stores in your area, you then search for the book that you want. If they don't have it, they can order it. But I think it's a good way to help keep mom and pop bookstores going, you know, yes. so so order from them and, and, and all that good stuff. And then uh, people, if they just want to send me a message, say hi or tell me I'm an idiot, they can hit me up on facebook.com slash nomarslevic author. Yes, support your local bookstores. Support Nomar's work. Dude, I I highly respect what you're doing. I'm so happy I came across it. It's so eye-opening to read a book about cases I'd never heard about before. The more stories I hear, the more invigorated I become, you know, searching, you know, as you have for those answers that seem to just be a little beyond our grasp. But it's people like you who give me hope that we're going to grab the truth someday. Never let go of it. So, brother, keep looking up. And thank you so much for joining me today. Ryan, thanks so much. It was an honor, truly, to be on the show. I appreciate it. All right, that's it for this week's episode. Again, you can check out Nomar's podcast, I Want to Believe, on all podcast outlets. You can also find his book at most bookstores and online. An extra special thanks this week to Patrick, Brian, Kevin, and Nathan for stepping up for the show when I needed them most. Thanks, guys. You know what this is about. If you'd like to help out Somewhere in the Skies, please subscribe on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. While you're there, please also rate and review the show. As the largest platform for podcasts, you'll be helping us gain new listeners. Hey, it worked in Canada, and we reached number one and number four in different categories. So please, subscribe today. Visit iTunes or Apple Podcasts and search for Somewhere in the Skies. The show is on Twitter at Somewhere Skies and Instagram at Somewhere Skies Pod. We'd love if you'd give us a follow. To listen to past episodes, read exclusive articles, and to contact me with your stories or guest and topic suggestions, visit the official website, somewhereintheskies.com. I'll see you here next week, and remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. Produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com. 
Hi, everybody. I'm Chris. I'm Nick. And we're the hosts of the Two Dumb Dads podcast, a show about two dads trying to work our way through parenthood. Are we doing a show or a podcast? It's a podcast show. About parenting? Yeah, it's the same thing. He has my wife's mouth. She, my wife has a big mouth. We talk about everything from how do you find a babysitter? I'm going to, uh, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm going to stalk you for a week before I let you babysit my kid. Two will mac and cheese kill your kid. I've gotten to the point now where I just sprinkle a little bit of fucking mac and cheese on the hot dog. I'm like, I'm sold. Uh, you can find us at our website, twodumbdads.com. You can find us at our Facebook group, the number two dumb dads. And of course, anywhere that podcasts can be found. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.